Welcome to the Bug Hunters Cafe. Have a seat anywhere. Thanks, Marta. Hi, Jason. What? What are you doing? I'm reading the documentation for the Trans Reality Expressive Machine. The left steam valve is putting a whipped cream this morning. Why would you want to fix that? It's the fat-free variety. Here, look through volume 87, see if you can find anything on how to change it. Hmm. Maybe Anastasia will have some ideas. She will be here soon. Who now? Anastasia Tumuschuk. She's been a developer for over a decade in both e-commerce and game development. She's currently a tech lead, helping to build an engineering culture in her team and serve her team needs as servant leader. That's nice. We we need more servant leaders in the world, eh? Yeah, she's one of uh, she's also one of the organizers of Pi Berlin meetup, but also she organizes uh, Python in entire Berlin, perhaps. Good old Python. Unfortunately, I think the espresso machine over there was programmed in COBOL. So, have you tried turning it off and on again? Uh, twice. That solved the right tap dispensing sprinkles. But, uh... The right step was dispensing sprinkles, and you fixed it. Are you crazy? They were garlic-flavored. Uh, anyway, they started coming from the left tap instead, so... Oh, carry on. Okay, Anastasia, uh, we're over here. Hello! <laughs> Pardon the books. We are trying to fix Trans Reality Expresso machine. Oh, wow. Was Python? Cobol. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Hey, can I get you anything? Uh, coffee's on Soft Terrific. They sponsor these chats. I have a special request. Do you accept any special flavor requests or just a normal uh, we... stuff? Uh, we have a rule in this cafe. <laughs> Only thing we don't accept are normal requests. Okay, well, okay, yeah. Well. How did they give me a, a, a normal coffee then? That's maybe I just got special treatment. <gasps> I will talk with the unicorn chef about that. <laughs> what can I get you, Anastasia? Uh, well, I would like to have something pink and cherry flavored, so maybe cappuccino. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll see. Marta can probably uh, make one of those for you. Thank I'll you. go get that for you. Need a refill, Boyan? Yes. So, Anastasia, welcome to our little cafe. Uh, tell us about yourself. You can start with your uh, deepest, darkest secrets related to Python. Uh, well, I have a deepest, darkest secret related to myself, if you're interested, but I can also tell about Python. <laughs> I think Python... Yeah. Okay, you can choose. <laughs> Okay, I will start with a funny fact about myself. Um, I happen to be an engineer from Berlin, so I moved here like five years ago. And I'm originally from Ukraine. Uh, maybe you noticed by my uh, weird uh, last name. But actually, the funny fact that I don't speak so much Russian or Ukrainian anymore. And as I'm speaking mostly English and I think in English, I am not even able to introduce myself in Russian or Ukrainian. Well, I have the same problem with uh, Serbian, which is quite a problem when you're living in Serbia. <laughs> yeah. 
Here's your order, Anastasia, and here's your refill, Boyan. You went through that first one really fast. What can I say? So, Anastasia, here, without talking about bugs. And the crazier, the better. Give us some examples. Ooh, crazy bugs. Um, there was one crazy bug, uh, not my own, but in one of the teams I used to work for. Um, it was one of the... Um, um, Kubernetes clusters, which was set up um, on bare metal by hands of our developers. So they didn't use any automation tools for that. They just went there and did the setup, which was quite interesting. And there was a, an interesting bug. Uh, because of that bug, uh, when uh, Kernel um, was panicking for uh, I think it was some either memory leak or something. It was panicking and taking all of the memory and just crashing. So whenever um, one developer was deploying some new version of one of the services, it was uh, leaking the memory and then crashing the entire cluster. Oh dear. Yeah, which was like, if one pod is not isolated from the others, that's not nice. So the the bug was um, not allowing us to deploy anything new into Kubernetes, which was supposed to be sort of safe, <laughs> right? Well, you know, uh, the way I like to say Kubernetes was a bug. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But then again, I also use AWS, and Jason has very strong feelings about that. Yeah, I have, well, most people who know me know I have strong feelings about a lot of things, but, you know, if it works, it works, you know. But uh, I, I, do, I do like cloud services where you can actually see, you know, how much you're spending, personally. I mean, I'm funny like that, but, you know. <laughs> but you can do that on AWS. I always uh, just you grab a little kitten, then you take the kitten and teach it some black magic. So it casts its magic while you do calculation <laughs> and some differential equations, and you can get an estimate for how much it's going to cost you this uh, month. <laughs> it's a very straightforward process. <laughs> Have you ever thought about debugging printers before? I mean, it's kind of a similar process. No, 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 no. So, Anastasia, you were talking about uh, Kubernetes, which is always an interesting subject. Uh, do you work a lot with uh, Docker and containers? Uh, well, I do work with some. I mean, I work with people mostly at the moment. Um, so there is some Docker involved because they're working with Docker as well. <laughs> well, we have a running theory. Maybe you can give us your 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 take on this because it's just kind of a working theory is that um bugs in an organizational structure like in how a team communicates can reflect in the project itself and so if you have you know errors communicating among teammates then you can wind up with very similar bugs it's kind of what was that law i always forget the name of the law that you know it says if you uh, if you do a two-pass if, if, if you if you have a two part team, you're gonna get gonna get a two pass compiler. Um, have have you noticed any any correlation between like 
the bugs that show up and how a team communicates? Like, is there anything that a team can do in terms of their, you know, their own interactions that can kind of improve the stability of the code? Um, yes, this is related. So basically, if people are um, feeling themselves accountable um, for the code they produce, like for the code they write, um, then they try to test their own solutions. So they try to catch the bugs early on and they don't allow the bugs to jump into production, for example. Um, but if, um, for example, I would write some line of code and I would like, I don't know, check if the program is able to run. And after that, I will assume that it's fine and tests are fine, or maybe there are no tests even. I will uh, put it into production. I will go for release. And after that, there might be a bug just simply because I didn't check all of the possibilities that um, could happen. But if I would feel more like, well, if I'm introducing a new line of code, then I need to make sure that works properly. And I will spend some time for testing. Um, of course, that's also some time which should be accounted from um, product perspective. Because those are different pieces of the medal, like points of the medal. Um, if um, product is um, given too many tasks and they're all urgent, like for yesterday, um, <laughs> then of course developers will uh, try to deliver like as soon as possible to make customer happy and then to have their salary every uh, once in a while. <laughs> um, so they will try to reduce complexity of writing tests, of testing, this kind of stuff. So then the bugs might appear. So this is also like um, relation of the code and people talking to each other and then keeping each other accountable as well as the product level and also technical people. I really love that you use the word, uh, the word uh, accountability instead of responsibility because uh, lots of time I see people using who's responsible for this line of code in a very negative sort of way. Mm, get uh, blamed, how... yeah. Absolutely. So how do you avoid that uh, sort of thing? How to avoid uh, being negative? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, yeah. how to avoid taking make... responsibility, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was my first question. <laughs> just, just don't. <laughs> don't worry. Yeah. How... Yeah, how, how, how do you keep a how do you keep a team? You know, and it, how well? I guess a better way to phrase it would be: How could somebody move a team from um, a, a kind of a get blame mindset to an accountability mindset? Because there seems to be a subtle difference. Um, well, we don't have this culture in the organization in general. I mean, in the company I'm working for right now. Uh, but the thing is, there are different um, options how not to blame people. For example. Um, we had once, I mean, not once, but just one example. Um, every company have um, can can have um, some release which did work well, right? Um, so imagine situation: 9 p.m. Uh, release didn't went well, and uh, everyone is tired. It's like 9 p.m. We did everything that we could do, um, and after that, uh, we had to roll back. So a lot of work, like full day of work, and then in the end it didn't work out. 
what to do. Um, usually you can go and find person responsible for that, right? Like who did make this like this? But actually there is a really nice practice which is called five whys. When you ask five times the same question, uh, why did this, this happen? First question would be, why did um, coffee machine produce the uh, garlic sprinkles? <laughs> so after that, um, um, somebody can say, well, I don't know, a reindeer was there and he brought the bad wind or something like this. Well, then you ask again, why this reindeer came to your cafe and then brought the bad wind? Um, and then there would be an answer. And then after five times you ask this question, you would see the root cause because the root cause is not the person who came or not the reindeer who came. Maybe there is a reason for that, like, um, I don't know, not all the environmental variables were copied into a new coffee machine setup, for example. Mm -hmm. And then you see the problem. So it's easy to fix instead of blaming people, right? Because you, you will not fix the issue by blaming people. Or reindeer. Yeah, or reindeer. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then this guy in a red suit comes through with a bunch of reindeer. And, you know, he's already, always ordering the peppermint latte. And, you know, we really don't want to tick him off because, you know, he, you know, he, he has connections. So, you know. Yeah. He's very big in the elf community. Um. Also, one thing that you mentioned is uh, late night releases. They are one of my favorite uh, things to do, besides doing them on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Friday late night, it's the best one. Okay. Absolutely. Only uh, New Year's release can be that. So, how do you handle that as a team? Because uh, usually our normal re reaction as people is to say, No! <laughs> Uh, but clients uh, usually have uh, another definition of uh, what is a good idea to do. Um, it's not like that all the time. So it's not like uh, we are having those releases at 9 p.m. all the time. It just happens once because we try to fix and we spend like a few hours <laughs> trying to fix the issue. And um, we actually have some people in different locations, so there is a difference in time zones. And in Germany, for example, it's 9 p.m., but in some other countries it could be like in the morning. So it could work out and it's fine. And yeah, we don't do it on Friday, that's for sure. Uh, we don't work on the weekends as well. Um, and we're trying to automate everything as much as possible, so we will not have the situation like release and pray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah new year's eve is another really bad time to do especially new year's eve friday evening is horrible yeah. <laughs> yeah well this kubernetes issue like every developer was like hitting release i mean hitting uh typing a comment <laughs> uh typing the comment um on the remote machine so <laughs> you access the machine then you type the comment and after that, you pray. Yeah. Oh, dear. There, there's an article that, that uh, I'm looking at here, actually, that Boyan found uh, earlier in the week. And it's uh, about a 24-year-old 24, 24 bug in the Linux kernel. And a team 
kind of found it unexpectedly with what they thought was a race condition in R-Sync, and they just had a they had a bug in their tracker. There was a race condition in R-Sync. We should look into it. And then it started hitting them every single day, and it turned out it was actually a bug all the way back in the Linux kernel TCP implementation. It had been sitting there for 24 years, waiting, you know, lurking in the darkness, waiting for an opportunity to strike. Um, I... One of my one of my favorite types of bugs, honestly, is is the non deterministic behavior, the Schroden bug, especially the the thing that works until somebody observes it shouldn't be working, at which point it stops working. And I've talked in prior you know prior conversations about you know I ha- actually have seen this in the wild recently. I had code that, mind you, was working both on all of the team's computers and on the CI. It was building, it was working. Code was relying on it. We didn't change the code, we didn't change the build system, and one of my interns points out that it just isn't working correctly, at which point, changing nothing, it went from building, like I had just hit the build command, it worked. He says that, I rerun the build command and it now breaks. Not only that, but it is now broken on the CI. As soon as he said it, it just, the CI went down, I took down everything else with it, you know, like, it just, the build errors started propagating up the we had to. We had to. We literally had to kind of bypass that dependency because it was broken, and we didn't know how. <laughs> it, you know, no, no warning at all. That was spooky. Yeah, which is why I use Python now instead of JavaScript. <laughs> well, this was in C plus plus, but. No, actually, not even Python safe. I, I was researching something in Dead Simple Python, and someone was saying, oh, well, you know, Python doesn't have any undefined behavior. I said, the heck it doesn't. He's like, well, where did you find undefined behavior? And I showed him. It was just, it was something that was just going back to the C Python backend, and it was segfaulting. And it's like, what? What? How? What? It's like, yeah, this stuff lurks everywhere, you know. Code is never really, code's never done. There's always one more bug. <laughs> the law of cybernetic etymology. Yeah. Anastasia, uh, as a Python developer, uh, you are contractually obliged to tell everybody how Python is the best language ever. So tell us uh, what's the most beautiful thing about Python. I need to review my contract. Well, it's simply beautiful. <laughs> Excellent answer. Now, actually, uh, the most beautiful thing about Python um, is the community because of mm. the people, um, because of the support, uh, because of open source and all of this love to the language and to the community. So I think that's like the most valuable thing ever. I love your answer. I could say the same thing, but I could also say it's the worst community I've been part of because it's the only community I've been part of. So it's also the best and the worst. Why is it the worst? <laughs> well, it's the only one I've been part of. <laughs> Nothing to compare it to. No, I, I, I think I think you're right, Anastasia. The community is amazing. Um, you know, there's other communities in other languages where, you know, it's like, Everyone's like, it's my knowledge. You can't have my knowledge. You know, I, it's, it, it, Python is, it, you know, I think it takes some getting used to. Tell me if this has kind of been your experience, but a lot of people I notice from my end seem to be a little bit, they don't expect 
what they find when they when they walk into Python because like you log into like the Python IRC room or whatever and you ask a question. This happens in any Python community, and the first thing they go for is not oh well you know you have a typo here. They're okay. What are you doing? Why are you taking this approach? Why this and not that? And the first time I encountered that, I thought it's like are you are you just saying I don't know how to code? No, but we want to make sure you actually understand what why you're taking the path you're taking before you waste all your time fixing a bug that you don't necessarily need to fix. Have have you observed any of that as well? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I started searching for some um, answers on Stack Overflow. I think I wanted to like write something to people, help people. Um, I was in this moment of life uh, when I needed to help somebody to feel myself <laughs> better. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I found one question and it was not answered. And actually a person was uh, desperately trying to find help. Um, and in the end, uh, people started answering, um, like, what are you trying to solve in here, actually? So the solution was so simple. And instead of like long lines of the code, instead of some algorithms, it was just a simple command. Um, so, of course, a person was trying to debug and was asking, like, why it doesn't work? It doesn't solve my problem. And people were asking, so what the problem is? What are you trying to solve in here? So, yeah. And then in the end, it was like just one liner solution nice and simple yeah unlike pearl our one-liners are beautiful <laughs> i don't know there's a whole book called pearl one-liners that uh you know, yeah. seems pretty popular so I, I i think beauty is in the eye of the beholder but then again this is coming from the guy who likes debugging segfaults so hi Bug Hunters Cafe, Marta speaking. Oh yes, we are open 24-7 at bughunters.cafe. You can also find us on Twitter and Dev as Bug Hunters Cafe. It's been doing what? Well, renew our espresso machine was on the fridge, but... No, we never intended it to pull white cream from your fridge. We were wondering where that was coming from. Yes, we're working on it. In the meanwhile, would you be able to put normal wiped cream in there? I mean, if the steam value is going to dispense something. Well, yes, I'm sure it's healthier, but... We can compensate you with a free coffee voucher. Excellent, thank you. By the way, do you know anything about garlic sprinkles? The machine's been dispensing those too. I thought not. You didn't strike me as the sort of a person who would use garlic sprinkles. I was saying, one of the things I admire the most about Anastasia is that she always has awesome book recommendation. Every time I talk with her, I finish with at least 10 new books I need to read. Anastasia, give us recommendations. <laughs> well, I have like hundreds of books next to me. I can show them. <laughs> you know, I can give it to you, like just throw a book. <laughs> kind of kind of on the spot there <laughs> well i have one book um you will hear it in a second it's about uh, coaching how not to jump into conclusions it's called the coaching habit i think it's my most useful not technical book ever 
um, it's useful because I am the same as everyone else. I like um, active listening. I try to do active listening. Emphasis on trying. <laughs> <laughs> and I do as all this, all the people. Um, there is uh, like a trigger in my brain uh, which starts triggering ideas of the answers and suggestions right after a person starts with, uh, look, I have a question to you. And I'm like, I have an answer to you now. <laughs> <laughs> and actually the hardest part is not just listen and say, mm-hmm, uh-huh, uh, yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> actually listen uh, and then ask questions, as many as you can in a certain form. Um, and after all of the questions asked, you have to ask, and what else is on your mind? A few times. It's like the same approach as five whys, <laughs> maybe five what else's. And after that, uh, you would have some decent answers from a person who is seeking for advice and then this person would either realize the answer on its own or maybe will formulate what is the root cause of the question basically that sounds that sounds very much like a debugging process it is yeah like uh, so. those are the print statements basically yeah. Well, no, I'm saying like if you're helping somebody, you know, like when someone comes in going, can you help me debug this thing? That sounds like a really good place to start with it because, um, you know, you look on the average Stack Overflow answer and, and, you know, someone says, well, I'm having this bug and half the answers are like, oh, you have to do this. And maybe that's, we were talking about earlier about that, that, that difference between Python and C++ and the, uh, you know, the fact that or, well, many, many communities, actually, not just C++, but the fact that the Python community asks, well, what are you trying to do? You know, maybe that's one of the reasons why it's so much easier to debug in Python is because, you know, people ask those 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 probing questions like you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And actually, uh, with a colleague of mine, we were trying to debug a few services which were written by different people. And of course, it's uh, hard to bring all of the developers together um, into one room, especially now you're working remotely. It could be like different time zones. Sometimes it's impossible. Um, and you have to ask those questions like from yourself, like, okay, uh, did you check like the, the list of the checks? First of all, if it's a Docker, then uh, is the port uh, the same as you're trying to open to access? <laughs> um, yeah, so um, you need to check if there is a connection between the services, if you're trying to send the data where you're trying to receive it, uh, if the contract between services is the same, which is uh, also really important because um, not all the people ask if the contract between services is the same. So like, um, if I wrote service one and another person wrote service two and we're not talking to each other. So I sent my data and I don't care if they got it or not. And then the second uh, person like, oh, I didn't get the request. Okay, I will wait. So it's not working. But if the entire production depends on those two services talking to each other, of course, they have to talk to each other um, in service language, the same data model. Hello, IT. Have you tried turning it off and on again? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, uh, the thing I found uh, very early on is that uh, departments love to work uh, in some sort of isolation. And that's one thing uh, that I love about uh, doing uh, stand-ups. Yeah, I'm one of those crazy people that love doing stand-ups. Uh, because uh, you get to hear uh, what other parts of company are t uh, having trouble with. And we are a relatively small part of the team, so sometimes we hear, we hear people from marketing saying, oh, we have trouble with this thingy. And somebody from the programming will say, oh, I can help you all automate that and stuff like that. Basically sharing uh, knowledge uh, across the uh, organization. That's the stuff I found uh, very hard to achieve. But uh, once you start uh, getting that culture, it's incredibly valuable. Hmm. I'm not sure if it was a question, but I have an answer. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I'm not going to use my coaching habit. <laughs> I will just tell tell you a story. Um, so I used to help teams to set up Scrum as well as my sort of hobby because I really like it. But um, due to my first experience of Scrum, I didn't know that the Scrum might not work. Um, if you start with a good experience and you didn't have bad experience, then of course you expect that it just works like magic, right? Like there are no bugs in this system. <laughs> it's the magical methodology. Everyone should use it. Best yeah. practice. Yes, exactly. And I tried to use it and then um, it wasn't always working. So I tried to dig uh, deeper uh, into the project, um, into the problem and ask internet, of course. So <laughs> I found a society um, of uh, people who worked um, on the topic of zombie scrum, which is apparently a big problem. It's called zombie scrum. It's really interesting. There are zombies and they even performed, um, I think it's from Netherlands, if I'm not mistaken. They even performed a meetup while being dressed as zombie. <laughs> Um, and talking about problems with Scrum. So when Scrum is called Scrum, um, or maybe um, somebody is using another agile methodology, and they're not really using it. So they pretend to use it because everyone wants it, but not everyone knows what that is and how to use it properly. And to be honest, it's really easy to make it wrong, to set it up wrong in the wrong way for different teams. Um, there is also... Maybe at this point, I should probably ask you to define Scrum because I'm sitting here a little bit behind on, like, I know the term, but I, you know, like I said, not, not everyone's, like, super familiar with it. I'm not ultra familiar with Scrum. Okay, so there is an Agile methodology, like, you can uh, read Agile Manifesto. Uh, in Internet, it's about delivering things uh, fast and in easy way, Agile way. Uh, to the customer. So um, processes uh, and I think people matter more than processes or something like this. I cannot state it even, uh, even right now. Uh, but the idea is to set up easy process of delivering things in agile way, like fast and nice and everyone is on the same page. Um, so there are different methodologies and usually people use 
I mean, most of the teams I used to work for, they used either Kanban or Edge uh, or Scrum. Those are just the names of methodologies. Um, they have a bit different set of rules, let's say like this, and different setup, different Jira setup, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> you heard about Jira, right? <laughs> Um, so Scrum, um, it has a um, standard set of the meetings like uh, daily Scrum, which is just a daily to quickly update each other on what is happening, what was happening yesterday, what is happening today and what would be happening tomorrow for you personally. And to fix the blockers, like if you have any kind of issue, you can just say that and seek for help. But the problem with that meeting, so if you go like meeting by meeting uh, from the standard structure, there are like lists, lists, not even one list, but lists of problems with it. So the stand up, um, I gave one talk uh, and actually I did research what was the problem with uh, stand ups and I found one quote somewhere in Internet. Uh, we had the shortest stand up ever this time, just 59 minutes. So <laughs> stand up is called stand up because people are standing and it's made like this so people would not talk a lot because it's uncomfortable to stand for a long time. And if usually if, if people are sitting, they're comfortable so they can sit like for hours and of course they can talk for hours. So. And then they invented the stand up desk and everyone got used to it and the stand up seems yes. to be a motivator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think of that that issue. Yeah, no, no, that's true. It's like now we, we just need to do the daily treadmill. Now it's like you have to do it while you're on a treadmill <laughs> or a plank plank challenge. Like you have oh, to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, People did that actually. Plank face down on the meeting table or something for like five minutes. I'm dying just faster. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, or, or maybe, you know, the, the, the classic, you know, pass the microphone thing, except it's a 20 pound weight. <laughs> and you have to hold it over your head while you're talking. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, really strong biceps that way. Huh, that's why it works. here. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, it's not, it's not a terrible idea. As long as it doesn't become ableist for the people who can't, you know hold 20 pounds over their the, the 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 head you know that you know to be fair i probably couldn't do that with my shoulders <laughs> well one time i was working in a team where me being my usual a bit larger person than normal uh let's say it like that and everybody else was really into bodybuilding so I'm walking over there and everybody's so buffed and I'm like, damn, <laughs> I really need to work out on myself. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Combine the fitness program and the daily stand-up. <laughs> it'll be the be the I'm shortest meet up meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. IT has to do the status report while doing chin ups or something, I don't know. Yeah, so uh, we got one good recommendation uh, for a book. Uh, so what else is on your mind? About the books. About the books, about the life, about everything. 
well, life is great. Uh, you just need to know how to um, find your way living in these times. And for remote work, as I'm now like remote worker since uh, April, I think, like since the lockdown, I started working remotely. Um, I learned so much. I never learned that much in normal, usual times. So I'm kind of happy by this learning. And I think the most useful learning is how to organize uh, all the remote meetings, kickoffs, um, all of the architectural brainstorming sessions, mm. yeah, all of these workshops, and also using Zoom breakout rooms. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've been reading a lot about the Zoom fatigue everyone's kind of going through. Yeah. So, tell us your secrets. How do you make Zoom work? Um, I just attended uh, a few workshops. The first workshop was about domain-driven design. And the second was about team topologies. I didn't read the book because... I don't know, it just didn't happen to me that I, I read the book. I always wanted to, but I was always afraid to read that huge book about domain-driven design. Um, so <laughs> I attended the workshop and that was actually great. So they used the Zoom breakout rooms, they used the Miro boards, they used um, event storming, they used ritual descent. So those are just the types of uh, workshops which really work for technical people and for non-technical. Um, and after that, after that workshop, I was so impressed. I started searching in internet how to use Zoom efficiently, how to do breakout rooms, how to do polls, how to um, mute people when they enter so they would not interrupt the speaker. And I tried everything uh, with my teams and I did uh, also a design sprint activity remotely, which was my first remote time um, and the first big failure. <laughs> um, after that, I learned how to do event storming, um, how to do ritual descent, and it was a great success. So like, first you have to fail um, to succeed in the future. Well, I have a question about uh, uh, design uh, sprints. Uh, basically, those are the sprints clients are the least willing to pay for because uh, we usually do them at the beginning of the project. So what's your advice about them? What's uh, their purpose? How do you do them? Um, well, um, I can share how it succeeded for me. So the first time I did run it, I mean, not me myself, but with a team, um, we did run it offline. So it was like a real event. Uh, we did it for a week. There were, I think, uh, three developers, one PO, one designer. And at the end, we made the prototype. And after that, we set up all the sessions to test the prototype. It was super valuable because in a short time we had architecture, we had data model, we had um, prototype which was clickable and we didn't write the code, but we had the idea how all of it has to work. After that, we improved it and started writing a code before even 
um, doing some crazy programming for like ages. Um, and actually, customer was super impressed by this because in one week we did so much. They, they saw how it is supposed to work. Um, why did it fail before? Uh, next time, uh, because it was all online. I was not quite in the online working mood yet, so I didn't know how to work with the teams uh, online and trying to set up the same sort of activities online. It was long, it was not quite engaging for everyone, just because of sitting in the long uh, running meeting, it was not enough for people. Um, and actually, uh, while it was a big failure because like people were not super interested in sitting in long meetings for like a week, <laughs> of course, <laughs> um, it was also a biggest development for the team. Uh, we didn't have requirements at that moment. We knew that customer wants feature A, feature B, and feature C, and that's it. Just the names, A, B, C. <laughs> <laughs> So they needed the reindeer, they needed sparkles, and they needed, I don't know, rainbow. And we're like, hmm, okay, and we have a website. So you're supposed to have, instead of a website, a reindeer, <laughs> a rainbow, and the sparkles. Um, so um, we just sat together and decided, how do we do that? How does uh, um, other website do the same stuff? We did the research and then in the end we had so many ideas we we're still using them um we just picked one of the ideas and then implemented in the end we even wrote the code so it was um high fidelity prototype um that's the prototype which you can actually click which is a real um case scenario like a live prototype um and uh, I think until now, it's like half a year later, we are still using the same initial idea. So when there are no requirements or they're like too vague, uh, it's really easy and nice just to bring an entire team of developers, QAs, technical, non-technical people, and then test even not necessarily with the customer, but with other um, departments maybe. Hmm. It's also beneficial because hiring somebody for testing is not easy as well. Makes sense. Um, I just had a thought, and you can tell me if this sounds valid or not, uh, for the teams who are like really tired. Because you mentioned that one of the tiring things about working online is sitting in an hours-long meeting on and on throughout, you know, throughout a week. And... Um, I think the most fun I ever had at a conference was Python Pizza New Year's because they were using this platform called gather.town and uh, you were there too, I believe, actually. You, you gave a talk there and uh, I thought it was kind of a neat concept because you, know, you could walk around this space and it was really kind of fun during the breaks because, you know, we had people broke up in these little groups and we're just kind of chatting organically. And, um, you know, I know GatherTown has these, you know, collaborative tools, like collaborative editing tools integrated as well. You know, if you have a small team, it's actually free. Um, you know, do, is that something that, that, that you think could 
potentially work for a team that has to do something like a you know like a design sort of thing where you know because imagine in normal space you know you're working you're walking between different groups and you got different things going on and you know is that something you could see working for that sort of purpose remotely Mm, to be honest, it was a lot of fun for a conference. Yes, that's true. Like you can walk around um, as well as, the, as at the conference. But at work, if you have to focus on work and you have to finish some task, it's uh, better if there is some organizer who just drives the flow of the teamwork into one direction and keeps everyone accountable in uh, finishing, um, like reaching the goal. For example, if the goal is to finalize the feature, like feature request or create architecture, it's better to find a way either to split the team into smaller groups, like breakout rooms, for example, and then bring them together. So the most efficient way of working together for technical and non-technical um, people I used uh, in like recently, yesterday actually, <laughs> was um, the time pressure, like the, the limit of the time. If you have, for example, one hour and you need to produce a solution or you have two hours, um, you need to find a way of working. It should be structured, there should be an agenda, and sh you should stick to it. Because people are tend to just uh, jump into different directions and different um, areas. For example, if there is a feature which needs architecture, um, you could go into, I don't know, um, deployment. You could go into uh google versus aws azure whatever um mm -hmm. so you could drive into different direction instead of that you need to decide for example um let's say you have python and you have um relational database you don't want people to start talking about rewriting the code in Rust with uh, non-SQL <laughs> databases, right? <laughs> so you want to keep track of this. Um, and you need to deliver something in the end. You have pressure from the customer. Um, I mean, not, not you, but um, a PO definitely has. Um, and if necessarily developers, they don't feel this pressure, that's because um, there are other people who are trying to take this pressure out. But it is there because customer wants it ASAP, like yesterday, of course. <laughs> so when there is a limit of time and there is a, a expected outcome in the end as an architectural diagram, and there is one person who is setting up the environment how should it work like let's say i don't know reach all descent there is a goal there is a, an idea and then uh, there is a group of people working you work for like 20 minutes then you come back to the big room then you split again to different rooms then you work again and then you know that you have 20 minutes and in 20 minutes you have to put the idea together right so you will work faster you will focus on something that matters on the topic itself. You will not go into different directions because you will try to solve the issue. And engineers specifically, um, and me as well, as an engineer, uh, we love um, searching for great solutions in a short amount of, of time and also in finding the best solution. 
um, and also the easiest one. <laughs> yeah. Of course. And sometimes going a bit tangential. I actually have a book recommendation now. Which um, one? Well, it reminds me of, yeah, Boyan's getting out his notebook. And this one is probably one you've already read, um, Anastasia. It sounds like it's something that, that you'd be familiar with. But it's called The Pomodoro Technique by Francesco uh, Cirillo. C-I-R-I-L-L-O. Um, anyway, it, you know, it's a great it's a great time management technique personally. But he talks in there about, about teams, and it's basically what you were talking about. You know, how you have... You have a, a larger goal, but you break off into micro teams and you have one timer. So a Pomodoro is just a timer. It's a 25 minute timer and you can set it for different amounts of time. But, you know, experimentation has shown that 25 minutes just works the best. And he talks about having the micro teams and then at the at the 25 minute timer, then you have you know the heads of each of the teams stay. But when the 25 minute timer goes off, you actually rotate so you can get some fresh ideas into, you know, each of the groups. And then you do that for like two or three Pomodoros, maybe four Pomodoros. And then, you know, at the end of the time, you know, so you have that time limit, but at the end of the time, you know, you, you, uh, everyone gets back together to compare notes. And he actually details that in the, in the book. Um, so, you know, you mentioned that, that reminded me, um, that, that reminded me of that. Uh, each micro team actually manages their own Pomodoro, though. But yeah, there's um, it goes into detail. It's a, it's a really good. Uh, it's a really good book. It sounds pretty similar. We got lots of uh, good book recommendation, and as I always love to say, the most important uh, things for programmers are the soft skills, not the technical stuff. Yeah, I I train interns and. You know, that soft skills are the make or break stuff. It's like interns can always learn another language. You know, all the time I have people coming in and I was like, you know, I don't know C++. Is that a problem? I said, no, it's, it's fine. Most people who come in don't know C++. You'll pick it up on the job. But can you manage your time? You know, can you write down what it is you've learned? Do you know how to ask questions? Do you know how to look things up? You know, those are... Those are the skills that, you know, and everyone needs to develop them, but those are the skills that really define whether or not they're, they're going to succeed is, is those soft skills. You can always learn more technologies. I wish more hiring managers knew that. <laughs> Most of them are like, well, do you have eight years experience with Kubernetes? It's like, uh, no, no one does. <laughs> but I know how to do research, you know, and they go, oh, well, that's nice. Next, you know, <laughs> they miss the point. It's like the soft skills are the important part. Yeah, it's almost like uh, whiteboard programming is uh, very, very inefficient, to say the least. No, really? <laughs> now, in the defense of whiteboard programming, I actually have debugged on a whiteboard before, but that on the job. But that was because I was trying to visualize a fairly complex algorithm, and I was determining whether or not you know an adjustment to the algorithm would actually work. And uh, turns out it wouldn't. But, uh, you know, I was actually on a whiteboard that time. There's always an exception. <laughs> on the whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> and the trace back. Yeah. <laughs> whiteboard with a little debug button. and it, Yeah. Yes, please. Can you run this? <laughs> yes. Oh, that would be wonderful. Whiteboard that can actually execute the code. Yes. Oh, that'd be glorious. 
There is an idea for an app. If somebody makes it, we want uh, 10% of your equity each. <laughs> no, no, we, 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 we don't. But you might want to buy a nuclear silo for it. Um, inside joke. Anyway. <laughs> I think uh, we can wrap it up. We probably can. My uh, coffee cup is empty. so. Uh, yeah. Anastasia, it was super awesome to have you as a guest. You were fun as always, and I learned a bunch of things. Yeah, thank you for a great coffee. It was really fantastic, and thank you for inviting me. I met the unicorn around today, and I have my reindeer around here. <laughs> the one which I mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was mentioning reindeers, because, yeah, you know. Yeah, because you, you got the one around there, and yeah. questioning whether or not he's 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 involved. No, I, we'll we'll keep bugging that espresso maker. It'll, you know, the, the we'll we'll just keep asking why <laughs> and what else. <laughs> but thank you so much. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, hey, um, you know, if if anyone wanted to find you online, where should they uh, where should they go? Uh, well, they can uh, join the Piberly meetup, as always. We have uh, meetups every uh, once uh, in a month. And also, I have Twitter account um, and uh, my website. You can share that in the link as well. Absolutely. We'll do that. Thank you very much. Bug Hunters Cafe. This is Marta. Yes, we are located online at bughunters.cafe and on Twitter and Zev as bughunterscafe. Oh, were those your garlic sprinkles? Yes, I'm sorry. Our trans-reality espresso machine has been on the blink. We're trying to fix it. Yes, absolutely. Just one question. Why garlic sprinkles? Oh, that makes sense, Mr. Van Helsing. Oh, I'm glad you like the music. It's provided by audionautics.com. We have a link on our website. Well, we hope to see you soon. Just um, maybe don't bring your work with you. We appreciate it. Have a great day. Afternoon, Marta. How's your shift been? The espresso machine is acting up. It's dispensing white cream and garlic sprinkles. Oh, you just have to flip the switch on the back. There you are, back to normal. 106 volumes of documentation and no one thought to document that?